Welcome. You are listening to the Audio Information Network of Colorado. This recording is intended to be used solely by individuals with barriers to print. Thank you for joining us for Food and Stuff. My name is Gretchen Miller. Today we're going to do all casseroles all the time. Whenever I make a casserole, I always think, gosh, I should do this more often. This is just so easy. And I love having leftovers, big leftover fan. So we're going to start off today with a recipe for spaghetti pie with pecorino and black pepper. If you didn't have a Nona to do so when you were a wee lucky thing, it's more than likely that Marcella Hazan was the person who introduced you to the concept of a spaghetti frittata. A cozy mess of leftover spaghetti, scrambled egg, some butter, parsley, and a fistful of Parmesan cooked in a skillet and cut into wedges. It's unfancy food at its best, as should be no surprise from the woman who was very distressed by complicated chef's recipes wondering, why not make it simple? So when I first saw Food and Wine's Caccio a Pepe Pasta Pie on Pinterest earlier this month, as one does, my first thought was, Oh, so impossible to achieve outside of food styling studio pretty. Because, I mean, look at it. Followed by, wait, that's not cacio a pepe, which is a Roman dish with exactly three ingredients, pecorino, black pepper, and spaghetti, usually fresh tonarelli. And if you can forgive me for being pedantic, definitely no cheddar. But followed by, wouldn't all of that egg custard leak from my spring form? The answer is yes, and woe is my oven floor. And then, I wonder what Marcella Hazan would have thought of this. Would she have been distraught by the spring form, perturbed by the use of three types of cheese, shaking her head over the finish under the broiler? So, if she's anything like the rest of us, I think she'd be too busy enjoying it to ask such questions. Because this dish, which I'd liken to the halfway point between a spaghetti frittata and a spaghetti quiche, is spectacular. I made it on a whim a couple of weeks ago because that's my thing these days. And even though my peeling wood veneer kitchen counter is the furthest cry from a photography studio, it was a total stunner. And while this is unequivocally comfort food, pasta, eggs, and a glorious amount of cheese, yes, Something about eating it in tall wedges with green salad felt, almost civilized, humble food raised to its most centerpiece-worthy calling, and all from just a handful of ingredients. We're going to be making this a lot this winter, I can tell. So here's the recipe, spaghetti pie with pecorino and black pepper. This is adapted from Justin Chappelle at Food & Wine. This pie plays off the flavors of classic Caccio a Pepe, these flavors will be delightfully the strongest, but of course, I fiddled with it a little bit. The first time I made it with eight ounces of each of pecoroni, pecoron, pecorino romano and fontina, because although I love cheddar, I just couldn't. The second time I made with less of each, which was a mistake, and because I've become that person, the kind of person that needs to see some green before I can allow something to become a regular meal, I added about a cup of blanched and finely chopped broccoli rob, which was not. That said, while we enjoyed our green-flecked spaghetti wedges, we agreed we'd have liked it just as much with the greens on the side, preferably in a garlicky and pepper flake sautéed heap. 
A few important cooking notes. You must wrap your spring form tightly in foil or you and your oven floor will end up in a very bad mood. Please, and I beg you here, cook your pasta until it's a good two minutes from done as it will continue cooking in the oven and mushy pasta makes me sad. The greens here are optional, but keep in mind that if you do add them, you'll want to do your best to remove every extra drop of moisture and anticipate that it will take longer to set. Finally, to me, good aged pecorino, usually sold with black rind, makes all the difference here in providing a salty, funky kick. You can use Parmesan if that's all you've got, but you might find that you need more salt if you do. Butter for greasing spring form, one half pound of broccoli rabe, the toughest stem saved for another use, chopped into a few inch segments. This is optional. One pound of dried spaghetti, one and a half cups of milk, three large eggs, lightly beaten, two to three teaspoons of ground black pepper, two teaspoons of coarse, coarse or kosher salt, eight ounces of aged pecorino cheese, finely grated and divided, and eight ounces of fontina cheese, grated and divided. You're going to heat your oven to 425 degrees, butter a nine inch springform pan, and this is very important. Wrap the outside of the springform, focusing on the places where the ring meets the base, tightly in aluminum foil, and then set aside. Bring a large pot of well-salted water to a boil, and if using broccoli rabe, add it to the pot and boil for one to two minutes until it has some give. Fish it out with a large slotted spoon and drain it well, and then set aside. Add spaghetti to the boiling water and cook until, and this is important, two minutes shy of done, so very al dente, as the spaghetti will continue cooking in the oven. Drain well and let cool slightly. If using broccoli rabe, wring all extra moisture out of it and blot the greens on paper towels to be extra careful. Mince the rabe into very small bits. You'll have about one cup total. In a large bowl, whisk the eggs and the milk together with salt and pepper. Stir in all but one half cup of each of cheese and chopped rabe if using, and add spaghetti and toss to coat. Pour into a prepared spring form and sprinkle the remaining cheese on top. Bake for 35 to 40 minutes without greens and up to 15 minutes more with greens as they add moisture too until the cheese is melted and bubbling and a knife inserted into the center of the pie and turned slightly will not release any loose egg batter into the center. If the top of your pie browns too quickly before the center is set, cover it with foil for the remaining cooking time. Turn on your oven's broiler and then broil the, few, or the pie for a few inches from the heat for two to three minutes until it's browned on top. Cut along the springform ring to loosen and then remove the ring. Run a spatula underneath the pie to loosen the base and slide onto a serving plate and cut into wedges and enjoy. Next, we've got a recipe for cabbage and mushroom lasagna in quotes. In July, because I made no sense at all, I decided to knock an item off of my to-cook list that's been there since 2010. A golden bubbling layered dish of mushrooms, cabbage, thinly sliced potatoes bound with bechamel sauce and topped with cheese. Talk about beach eats. 
but a craving is a craving, and I made it with the thought that we would try it, then freeze the rest until that whole December-January zone when the sun sets at approximately 3.32 p.m., and the only way to endure it is to channel some Scandinavian coziness and make it like fashion. Candles, thick sweaters, tea, a good book, and soft music. Long-cooked winter vegetables snug in a rich casserole. Instead, over a few days, we finish the whole thing because it's completely amazing. The recipe comes from the Marcus Jernmark, the Swedish chef who, at the, at the time, helmed Aquavit, a high-end Scandinavian restaurant in Midtown. The recipe made its way into a column by Elaine Louis that briefly ran in the New York Times called The Temporary Vegetarian that I followed with devotion. It's not like a decade ago was dark times for vegetarians, but this column had a freshness to it, focusing on vegetable forward and varied dishes with home cooks in mind. A few years before its time, and it later became a book. Jernmark explained that in the fall in Sweden, they eat cabbage, kale, and mushrooms, and he wanted to turn them into a seasonal, homey take on lasagna. Because I'm a pedant, I'm not entirely sold on the name. It seems as much a potato and vegetable gratin as anything else, but I'm leaving it because it's layered and I have a thing for lasagnas outside of the red sauce and ricotta cheese box anyway. It's a bit of work, as can happen when three vegetables and a sauce are involved, but it's honestly the perfect dish for layer, laying low on a cold weekend, lush but not as nap-inducing as pasta versions, and it's excellent. The photos don't do it justice, but it's cooked cabbage, guys. It's doing its best. Here's the recipe for cabbage and mushroom lasagna. Serve six generously to 12 petitely. Time, two hours. Source, Marcus Jernmark, then of Aquavit via the New York Times. There are three key things to know going into this dish. Seasoning is really key here. It's winter vegetables, butter, milk, and cheese. It will not naturally boom with flavor. Make sure every element gets the necessary salt and pepper and it will add up to something wonderful. I found mine got a little watery as it baked because cabbage is watery. You can baste a little out if you wish or you can just let it go. As it cools, most will settle back around the vegetables and it shouldn't seem too wet. I almost didn't share this recipe because it's got a bunch of steps and a lot of vegetables to chop. The dish is all vegetables after all, and I thought nobody would want to make it, but it's just too delicious not to. So do as I do, put on your headphones, cue up the miseducation of Lauren Hill, try to get your head around the fact that it's now 20 years old, and you'll be done before Mary J. Blige shows up. Here's the recipe. You'll need nine tablespoons of unsalted butter divided. 3 tablespoons plus 1 teaspoon of all-purpose flour, 2 and 2 thirds cups of whole or low-fat milk, 1 quarter teaspoon of freshly ground nutmeg, salt and ground black pepper, 1 medium onion chopped, 1 garlic clove minced, 1 pound of assorted either shiitake, oyster, porcini, chanterelles, etc., or just cremini mushrooms thinly sliced. One tablespoon of finely chopped fresh sage. I used less. Two pounds of Napa cabbage. Twelve large leaves removed from the head. 
and reserved, the remainder sliced thin, one half cup of dry white wine, one and a half pounds, that's about four Yukon Gold potatoes, sliced about an eighth inch thick, one cup of grated Parmesan cheese or Vosterboten, that's the chef's preference, that's V-A with an umlaut over it, S-T-E-R-B-O-T-T-E-N. You're going to heat your oven to 350 degrees. In a large saute pan over medium heat, melt six tablespoons of the butter. Add flour and stir for three minutes. Do not allow to brown. And then gradually whisk in milk, stirring until thickened five to eight minutes. Stir in the nutmeg and season with salt and pepper to taste. Scrape the sauce into a bowl and reserve. Wipe out your saute pan, rinse if needed, and melt two tablespoons of the remaining butter over medium heat. Add onion and garlic and saute until the onions are translucent. Add mushrooms, sage, and sliced cabbage and saute until fragrant and the cabbage is tender 10 to 12 minutes. Add wine and saute until it has evaporated. Add reserve sauce and simmer for 10 minutes. The mixture should be very thick. Season with salt and pepper to taste. While the mushroom and cabbage mixture is simmering, pour six cups of water into a stock pot and bring to a boil. Add whole cabbage leaves and blanch for two minutes. Drain under cold water and pat dry on towels. Grease a nine by nine inch baking dish or lasagna pan of your choice and with, re with the remaining one tablespoon of butter. To assemble the lasagna, line the bottom of the dish with half the cabbage leaves and top with half the potatoes and half the creamed mushrooms. Repeat the layering of cabbage, potatoes, and mushrooms and top with grated cheese. Cover snugly with foil and bake for 30 minutes. Uncover and bake until the top is golden brown and the potatoes are tender, about 20 minutes but up to 10 minutes longer if it's needed. Allow to cool for 10 minutes and serve. As far as doing ahead, I prepared the sauce and all the vegetables and then ran out of time when I made this, stashing them in the fridge separately and baking it the next day, which works totally fine. You can also make the dish, chill it, and bake it when needed, and leftovers reheat well too. So finally, you could freeze the whole dish for a later date. Next recipe. This one for winter squash and spinach pasta bake. I'm in awe of people who can make a meal plan, repeat many favorite dishes weekly or several times a year, knowing that they love what they love. Because I'm not, I like shiny new recipes. My favorite thing to cook will always be the last new thing I made. All attempts to be a responsible sort of person with a plan are consistently jettisoned by a sparkly whim that landed in my head in the last day or two, like a big apple crumb cake, or in this case, an Odalengi recipe from The Guardian that I apparently bookmarked over three years ago and I forgot about until the stunning image flashed across my screen a few weeks ago and all of my best late October plans were kicked to the curb. I haven't a single regret. This is not a usual pasta bake. We do not boil the noodles. We do not make or buy a sauce. We do not roast the winter squash or even saute the greens. We throw every single ingredient raw into a big bowl for mixing and pour that into a parchment slung spring form or equivalently sized pan 
and bake it for 90 minutes. That's the rub. It takes a long time to cook. But this time is entirely hands-off, save removing the foil midway. You won't be scrubbing pots, as the sum of your dishes to wash will be a cutting board, knife, whisk, grater, and a bowl. Sounds like my kind of recipe, folks. What emerges from the oven is savory fall decadence. The proportions are upended, depending on your perspective. This has either half the pasta or twice the vegetables of most pasta bakes of this size. The squash softened, the spinach perfectly cooked, the noodles tender in the center and burnished to a snatchable crisp on top. The fragrance of garlic and toasted cheese is everywhere that I want to be. Here we go with the recipe, winter squash and spinach pasta bake. Servings, eight. Time, 15 minutes prep, two hours to bake and rest. This is inspired by Odalenghi's pasta and butternut squash cake. You'll need one large egg, one cup of ricotta, one cup of finely grated Parmesan divided, one cup of coarsely grated Fontina cheese, one and a half cups of water, three tablespoons of olive oil divided, one tablespoon of kosher salt, I use diamond, use less of other brands, freshly grated nutmeg, this is optional, freshly ground black pepper, one quarter to one half teaspoon of red pepper flakes to taste, three garlic cloves, thinly sliced, five ounces of baby spinach, roughly chopped, two tablespoons of thinly sliced sage leaves, or one teaspoon of chopped thyme leaves. These are optional. One and a quarter pound of butternut or another sturdy winter squash, peeled, seeded, sliced thin, or one pound in prepared chunks, sliced thin. Eight ounces of dried pasta, see the note, and broken into pieces if it's large or long. Heat your oven to 350 degrees Fahrenheit. Line a nine inch spring form with three inch sides with a sling of parchment paper, pressing it across the bottom and creasing the sides to get it to fit as best as possible. If the sides aren't well covered, repeat with a second piece of parchment in the other direction. Whisk the egg and ricotta in a large bowl Stir in half of the Parmesan, Fontina, water, two tablespoons of olive oil, salt, a few grainings of fresh nutmeg, lots of freshly ground black pepper, red pepper flakes, and garlic. Stir in the squash, spinach, and sage, or thyme if using, and then add the dried noodles and stir until everything is coated. Pour into your prepared pan and press gently so that everything is in as even a layer as possible. Sprinkle with the second half of Parmesan and gently fold any parchment that extends over the rim of the pan into the center and cover the pan tightly with foil. Bake on a sheet for extra security against drips for one hour and then remove the foil, reopen the parchment folded over the top and drizzle the dish with your remaining one tablespoon of olive oil. Return the, to the oven uncovered for 30 minutes pasta will be baked through and the top will be crisp. If it doesn't have as much color as you'd like on top, you can finish it under the broiler for a minute or two. Cool in a pan on a rack for 30 minutes before removing the springform ring, sliding the pasta baked by its parchment onto a serving plate and cut it into wedges. 
As far as doing ahead, this keeps in the fridge for up to one week. Rewarm uncovered in a 350 degree oven. I haven't frozen it, but I would expect it to freeze well if it was tightly wrapped. Here's some notes. Structural note. Like a lasagna, this is more wet and messy when it first comes out of the oven. I recommend a 30 minute rest at minimum, what you see here in the loose slices. But it will be cleaner to cut and more the set the longer it hangs out. It reheats fantastically and keeps up to a week in the fridge. Last night we reheated wedges from six days ago and they were still perfection. Pan size. I only tested this on a 9 inch springform but would expect it to also fit in an 11 to 12 inch oven proof skillet and also less glamorously in a 9 by 13 inch baking dish. No need to line it with parchment if you're serving it from the pan or not worried about leakage. As far as the pasta shape, I'm using a ribbon-shaped pasta called Malfaldine or Reganette. You can find it from many brands with slight variations such as Anna, which is what I used, Sfoglini, Garofalo, and Italy. Classic ruffle edge lasagna noodles broken into pieces will work too. Adaption, adaptation notes. I used Odalenghi's recipe as a general inspiration, but not a literal guide. I skipped the tomatoes, pine nuts, feta, basil, parsley, and even the fresh noodles, instead using dried ones and adding more liquid so that they could fully cook. I added some fontina for richness, and a, little, a bit more parmesan, and more salt and sage. Salt, here's an update. There have been many comments about the salt level, so I'm adding the weight of the salt and more guidance. As originally noted, Diamond brand kosher salt is much lighter than the other brands of kosher salt, so if you're not using it, it's a good practice to use half of any other brand when reading a recipe. So just be aware of that. Our next recipe is for Chilaquiles Brunch Casserole. I'm going to go right to the recipe for this one. Could you add sautéed vegetables or bits of crispy bacon or chorizo to the layers before baking it? Of course you could. Could you use a high-quality tortilla chip instead of frying your own corn tortillas? I think you could. You'll want to use 7.8 to 8 ounces of tortilla chips instead of what is listed below. So this serves 8, takes 1 hour, and the source varies. So, for the red enchilada sauce, also known as salsa roja or salsa roja para enchiladas, is a tomato and chili sauce, most readily available in a can in the U.S., which works fine here. It's not hard to make at home at all if you want to tackle a homemade version. Uh, here's a few leads, and there's some links at smittenkitchen.com. I made one from garlic, onion, and dried chilies. Uh, broth and some oregano, cooking and blending them, and the end result was absolutely delicious, but way too hot for my kids to eat. And since I didn't want them to throw their dinner in the garbage and cry, I then used the canned stuff instead, and we used the sauce as an extra condiment. C'est la vie. You'll need 12 inch or 12 small 6 inch corn tortillas, quartered and fried until crisp. One and a quarter cups, or from a 10 ounce can, of red enchilada sauce, one and three quarters cups from a 15 ounce can of black beans drained and rinsed, two cups or eight ounces of coarsely grated shredded Monterey Jack or cheddar cheese. I used a mix, six to eight large eggs, 
kosher salt and freshly ground black pepper, thinly sliced scallions, sour cream, diced avocado and hot sauce to finish and serve. You're going to heat your oven to 375 degrees Fahrenheit, coat a three-quart baking dish with oil or a nonstick spray, spread one quarter of the tortillas in the bottom of the dish, and drizzle and scatter with one quarter, that's about if you eyeball it, of enchilada sauce, followed by black beans and cheese. Repeat this three times. Bake for 15 minutes until the cheese is melted and the tortillas have softened a little, and then remove from the oven to a cooling rack, leaving the oven on, and use a spoon or fork to push little nests into the tortillas where you'd like each egg to go. It won't fully hold it, but it will help them stay in place. Then you're going to crack six to eight eggs into them, however many you'd like to use. Season the eggs with salt and pepper and return the casserole to the oven until the whites of the eggs are opaque but not fully set. Remove from the oven and let rest on a rack for about four to eight minutes, after which the whites should be fully set and the yolks still runny and serve with the finishes of your choice. Thank you for joining us for Food and Stuff. My name is Gretchen Miller. If you enjoyed this program, please register for our free services at www.aincolorado.org or by calling 303-786-7777.